Hi, this is Thomas DePaulo. This is Dole. Hey, this is Melon Bread. This is Kevin. This is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy, and you're listening to The Green Box. On this episode of The Green Box, Tom, Melon Bread, and I will talk about our top five picks for the 2018 Shotgun Scenario Contest. Naturally, since it was a ranked ballot, this includes our own entries. The segment was recorded before the contest ended, so we didn't discuss all the winners because we didn't know who they were yet. So, um, today we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the 2018 shotgun scenarios. Now, we're recording this before the results of the poll have been released, after we have all voted, so we don't actually know who the winners are yet, although by the time you listen to this, you will. Feel free to laugh at us if none of the ones we voted for won. Now, there were, what, 58 entries this year, which is a lot, and there's no possible way we could discuss all of them in a single episode, although I guess we could do, like, one every minute. So we're just going to talk about our top five. Who gets to go first? Uh, well, why don't, why don't you go first, Melon, since you asked who gets to go first? Yeah, so I submitted four scenarios, so four out of my five were my own that I voted for, because you got to- You decided to take a shotgun approach? That's probably the title of this episode. The first scenario that I submitted was called um, Caged Heat, and this is a scenario that I submitted entirely. uh, You know how, like, two years ago I wrote a scenario called Snakes on a Plane based on a dumb pun, based on a dumb movie? This scenario is also like that. It's another dumb pun based on a dumb movie. And this one is is a Delta Green version of uh, the genre of exploitation films, women in prison films. It's uh, dumb as shit. It is... Very simple in its design. You are prisoners in a uh, federal prison. The uh, Delta Green tells you, we'll get you out if you if you stop this witch from escaping because she got incarcerated here before we could murder her. And the witch is going to summon a fire vampire to blow up the prison and get, get the fuck out of there. And this scenario is, I think, out of all the ones I submitted, probably was the worst received in playtesting. But people have come back to me afterwards and told me they really liked it, so I honestly have no idea what, how the hell people feel about it. It's interesting because I remember people saying in playtesting that it was pretty dull and pretty slow. But then I thought it was interesting that at the end, they all threw their lots in with the witch and helped blow up the prison. Yeah, um, you know why it was? It was be- So they, they told me afterwards that they did that because they didn't feel that the briefing they were given in the initial version of the scenario was sufficient to make them trust that they would actually be let out. They car- their players knew it because they knew that, that they knew what Delta Green was, they knew what the hook was, but they said, in character, we have no reason to trust this random letter that we've been sent, so instead we're telling, um, we're telling the talking cat, yeah, I'll let you um, bite my tits and I'll join your witch cult, and then we'll escape the prison and have adventures as uh, witches. And if I was running... If I was running like a home game and not an open table, I would absolutely have the next scenario be like their magic adventures as a as a witch cult. Yeah, it does sound like a really good hook for a future campaign. But the main the main sin that I committed when I ran this adventure for the first time was not any of that stuff. It was just that I made it boring by focusing too much on the day-to-day and less on the interesting stuff. I betrayed my own philosophy of French New Wave only show what's important and only show what's fun or interesting, and my players suffered for it and had a poor opinion of the scenario result. Although it may also be that there's problems with it. Like, the other problem is that... Um, I changed the briefing so that it's actually someone explaining this stuff to you, but I don't know if that fits as well thematically as just getting a letter in the mail. 
Cage Heat uh, made my shortlist. It didn't make it into my top five uh, for voting, but I, I did like it. I would say it's not top five material. The only thing, the only criticism I have of the scenario is it's it's one of the scenarios where if the players do nothing, it resolves itself. Um, They don't get out of prison. No? No, they don't. Because she just she breaks out and escapes, and then Delta Green's like, you didn't fulfill the, the your end of the bargain. Depending on how cruel the handler is, they might burn to death when the blizzard explodes. I mean, they explodes. might, yeah. Yeah, that happened to one of the players in playtest. But I, I I understand where you're getting at, and um, it's not the thing is it wasn't cl- the players said it wasn't clear to them that joining the coven was a fail state. And I was like, have you never played one of those RPGs where the villain at the end gives you a chance to join them? Like uh, I don't know, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door. In the prototype of um, Deus Ex, there was an option to join Bob Page at the end. I mean, isn't that the Naughty option? Uh, no, that's to join Morgan Everett, who's fucking worse. Oh. Like, I, I unironically think Morgan Everett is a worse villain, like a worse person than Bob Page. And the fact that you can't kill him is one of the things I hate the most about that game. Anyway, that's we're getting off topic. Uh, anything else? Well, on- in, any case, in any case, Merge with Helios is the, is the, the patrician voice anyway. I submitted only one scenario this year. The scenario I submitted was The Midnight Sun, which is an epic investigation. And this one is based on a classic uh, Canadian poem by Robert Service, The Cremation of Sam McGee, uh, which I, uh, if you check our SoundCloud page, you'll find a, a dramatic reading of the poem to listen to. Anyway, um, so up in the Yukon, which is like the only place where you still have to physically go to the spot that you, you stake a claim for like gold and stuff, like everybody, every place else you can place a marker on a digital map, but the Yukon, you actually have to go there and then you got to go back to a reporting station swear on a bible that you're actually there so in 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 the midnight sun um bunch of guys are up in the yukon staking gold one of them strikes it rich uh he's a fucking asshole so the other guys basically try and extort him to give him a to give him a cut and they end up killing him and then to dispose of the evidence they uh they find an old steamboat wreck and throw him in the boiler and then cremate him except he doesn't die so it's sort of like it's sort of like the cremation of sam mcgee except with additional you know avarice and murder well in the original story he didn't die either not in well, the no, way that in we the original story, he, he died of he died of hypothermia. Well, no, he didn't because he was able to speak to the narrator. Well, I mean, yes, but he also in like the second verse, he gets really cold and dies. Yes, well, clearly the narrator did not have sufficient medical training to assess the condition and because by burning nightfall, him alive, a corpse was all that was left of Sam McGee. Well, yes, but here's the thing: this is clearly an unreliable narrator because he then later describes the man sitting up while he was being burned alive and saying, oh, so, "Close the so door." So you'll believe that because he's an unreliable narrator. No, I'm saying that neither of them are really trustworthy. Neither account is... So is this some kind of, like, Schrodinger's cat thing? No, it's written... It's, uh, uh, Cremation of Sam McGee is written by Gene Wolfe. Anyway, uh, I liked, I liked your scenario. I think the one objection that I had, had to it was the... I think that the way that you get rid of the monster is everything that I disliked about music from a darkened room. Oh, the, you must be this magical to... Exactly. I think that's some bullshit. I think that... I understand that you did that because you didn't want the answer to just be to shoot the monster. Well, one other thing I did was that it's not actually difficult to do the ritual. It just, you might not like the consequences. Uh, I think that also the, um, I like the NPC, uh, that you gave there. I know that I'm not just saying that because I told you to do it. I was, yeah, that was an idea that I stole from you, but I... You didn't steal it. I told, I gave it to you because I wanted you to put it in the damn scenario. And the other thing that you said that I agree with about this scenario is that you could um, turn it back and set it in the 1930s because there's a lot of good Canadian lore to explore in that time period. Yeah, that is a good point, that it is a pretty timeless scenario. There is uh, those mentions in the backstory, and there is the helicopter, I think, is mentioned as one approach players can take. But other than that, like for them structurally, you could easily do that in a different time period. I did like something about Midnight Sun, which was that... 
there was this subtle push to try and contain the creature rather than destroy it because the options for destroying it are either well you can cut your own throat or you can get someone volunteer that's volunteer in quotation marks yeah so i like that it was just unpleasant enough that it was going to consider the players or it was going to push the players to consider well maybe we can keep it hidden maybe we can keep it around and find a use for it so i like that kind of messy open-ended uh climax to it so uh what's tell tell give us one of your uh one of your scenarios uh, that you for uh, Tom. Did you submit any this year? I did not submit any shotgun scenarios. I had a similar burst of creativity, but I put it towards other stuff. Uh, so one of my favorite shena- shotgun scenarios this year was Operation Secret Santa. I really like that one as well. Yeah, that is one where if you haven't read it, the players are contacted by a Delta Green friendly who I believe works at Miskatonic University and. Uh, her husband used to be a professor there, and she works in one of the departments there. And her husband disappeared several years ago, and suddenly she's been seeing signs that uh, someone has been leaving reminders of him around. And most recently, I think someone in a Santa suit broke into their house and tried to abduct her daughter. That that 911 call must have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> And then as you start unraveling it, there's actually a pretty good twist, which it's freely available. You can go read it. It turns out that the husband was abusive and the wife killed him to protect the daughter and was so traumatized she repressed the memory. But the husband was also into some spooky magic stuff. So now he has become, I don't know what the term for it is, but the kind of, yeah, the worm that walks, the crawling, like just massive worm monster wearing a Santa suit. The mind of the wizard uh, and the, as it was being devoured by the uh, the creatures of the earth um, leached into them and uh, achieved some kind of rudimentary sentience. Yes, wisely did Avon Chicago say, things have learned to walk which ought to crawl. Happy is the tomb where no wizard hath laid. Delta Green's motto. But uh, I like that one just because it's a little creepy and it gives you the sense that the wife isn't wholly on the level with you even before you kind of realize what's going on. It's a good scenario because it gives you a fun, creepy monster, lots of stuff to interact with. It's not that dangerous or, you know, explosive or anything, but it still gives you lots of uh, tools and lots of plot elements that make fun things happen when they collide with each other. Yeah, good use of a classic uh, mythos monster. Also made my shortlist, but did not make it into my top five. Very tightly put together, good economical design. Yeah, and I like it as just a Christmas scenario because it really just focuses on this one family and their house and all the messed up shit that's been happening to them. All right, so the second scenario that I submitted out of the four is called uh, Winter Pepper. Winter Pepper is a scenario that I wrote based on a Wikipedia article that I read about uh, Zersetzung, which is the... Uh, word that the secret police in East Germany used to refer to a campaign of psychological warfare that they would wage against dissidents. So uh, East Germany was the half of Germany that basically got ceded to the Soviet Empire, nominally independent after like the 50s, I think, but basically a communist dictatorship and in which order was kept through a clandestine system of informants and secret police and so on through the Stasi, who are the state security apparatus. The Stasi were told after a certain point that they had to stop using the judicial system to um, attack dissidents, so they couldn't just arrest people and charge them with fucking up the government and, and you know, being traitors or whatever. So they developed this program of Zertzigsung, and it's based on, you know, older stuff that state security apparatuses the worldwide and have been doing. But essentially, it's rather than 
arrest someone or kill them or whatever, you use a you use your your total knowledge of them that you would acquire through the, through your informants and your ability to be anywhere at any time to just fuck with them to make them think that they're going crazy by changing things in their life, sending threatening phone calls, sending suspicious packages, activating informants in their daily life to interact with them in disturbing ways. And the idea that I got what from this was that to someone who knows anything about the mythos, about the world of Delta Green, this sort of covert psychological destruction would look very much like the influence of of the play, of the other side. And then I thought, why can't it be both? Why not both? Why not Carcosa? Exactly. Because in this scenario, what's happened is there's an SV-8 cell in Berlin, in East Berlin, that's been copying documents and sending them to the SV-8 archives, because that's all they really, you know, that's their job. And there's a, the Stasi broke into one of their houses and photographed everything. And I got this idea from, there's a really fun video on the internet, a uh, training film that the Stasi made about how, how you search a house without uh, alerting the occupants that you've been there. And it's stuff like take Polaroids and everything so that you know how the objects are supposed to be arranged when you clean up after yourself. But anyways, they go into the house and they find this old Fritz Lang screenplay called Der Koenig and Gelb. And the head of the Stasi operation against these guys reads it and he thinks, this shit's great, Um, we should start using it to fuck with these guys. And so they start, um, yeah, and they start, so he starts starts inserting, like, having people, uh, here, I'll I'll read some of the details. Uh, One of them is an archivist, she works at the National Archives, and so she keeps finding newspaper articles of stuff that never happened from a world that doesn't exist. And when when she shows them to other people, they're like, this is weird, let me go take it to the boss. They take it to the boss. And then when she asks about it later, they have no idea what she's talking about, or they tell her that she's crazy. Or uh, there's a professor, and some of his students have been activated as informants by the Stasi, and so they go up and they show him shit in the textbooks, like, hey, what's this reference here to the emperor that doesn't make any sense? And he's like, I know that's not there because it wrote this textbook. And then he picks it up, and he's like, no, that's definitely there. And the student's like, yeah, so what's going on? He's like, I have no idea. And then later, um, later they, you know, they've, they've dropped the class, or they've been removed from the registry, right? so they're never there in the first place. Shit like that. And so the problem is that um, the process is self-reinforcing because the Stasi see that it's working, and so they, they do it harder, and then they themselves get kind of caught up in it, so they themselves are also infected. And basically the the players are SV-8 agents who gets who get introduced into all this in the middle, and because the they get instructions from the handler saying, or from the case officer saying, we have our assets in the GDR who have reported that they're being targeted by some kind of supernatural force go help them and optionally each player gets a document saying if your fellow agents look like they're infected by this you need to kill them and that's the way that because because sv8 knows a little bit about the mythos and the the hastur and so on they don't know a whole lot but they know that it's bad news and essentially you can they basically the players start getting targeted by this stuff when they go in because the stasi notice that they're interacting with the uh with the GDR cell, they like do a deep dive on their background, and then they start targeting them. And the way that it's supposed, the way it's supposed to work is that they um, they figure out that they're not actually going insane, or if they are, it's someone else's fault. They track down the uh, the operatives who are doing this to them. In the playtest of this that I ran, uh, one one agent was killed by his fellow agents. He didn't notice the shot coming because he was angrily tearing down the pages and photographs plastered all over the wall on the inside of the apartment, all photographs of him in places he'd never been. One agent, or sorry, two agents escaped from a GDR Border Patrol ambush by driving their Trabant as fast as possible through Checkpoint Charlie into West Germany. One of them lost an arm in the crash. 
And finally, one of them chased the the head of the Stasi operation back through his office, through the warren of papers and file cabinets, and onto the amber-clad shore of a gray and misty lake beneath black stars across Lake Hully from the wondrous city of Lost Ithil, and realized that he had come home. Uh, I, I like this a lot as well. It also made my shortlist, because I'm a fucking sucker for, for the Haster Mythos, and there were a lot of Carcosa submissions this year. I felt after after submitting it that if I had known there would be so many, I would have done something else, but... But this, this is a new and unique take on it, which is why I liked about it. Yeah, I think that it's hard to come up with stuff that surprises the players with when it comes to King and Yellow, because once you've seen it, you're going to recognize it wherever, wherever else you see it. So it's not about recognizing it, it's about um, coming up with a unique setting. Yeah, and I like this one because it kind of dances back and forth, whether it's just espionage and psychological warfare, or if you've actually been infected by it. And the answer is, it's a little of both. The one thing that I think... Uh, it could it could be done without the PvP element and still work. Who are you? What have you done with Melon Bread? I, I I've told you what problem I have with the PV, with PvP and Delta Green, which is that it rewards people for making characters that are really um, firearms and dex oriented and punishes them if they don't. All right, um, of mine again, I guess. Uh, so uh, one of the ones one of my top ones that I had on my on my ballot was uh, Operation Blue Velvet. That's a good one. Yeah, wherein um, a couple of uh, greys wake up out of stasis and achieve sentience and then go out into the world to seek their freedom uh, by hiding among a UFO convention. And what do they disguise themselves as, Will? Uh, They disguise themselves as greys. (laughs) They disguise themselves as greys who then put on, like, pretend to be Elvis or Marilyn Monroe. There's Diana Diana Spencer, Johnny Cash, and George Harrison. They change their... Yeah, no, that's right. They change their appearance to look a little bit more human so that they don't you know stand out among all the people cosplaying as aliens uh, but yeah it's it's, it's good <laughs> um i uh, this this isn't a terribly complex scenario i i mostly just liked it because of the the way it was framed because that's that's fucking great that's just it just writes itself you know i could just i could just see a bunch of agents crashing the the the, the uh the convention and just try to apprehend the first alien they, they catch sight of and it's just like a really good cosplayer it's pretty simple in terms of the overall construction diana is the nice one johnny cash uses his powers just to get free booze it's a it's a it's a quick simple scenario really easy to run small number of pieces that are guaranteed to be interesting yes low on complexity high on interesting premise operation blue velvet blue velvet or three little a's three that's good three little a's nice yeah uh not a whole lot else to say about this one. No, it's it's shortened to the point. I like it. Aaron, what's your next uh, option? My next one is Gemini. So the way this one starts off is that a hiker has discovered two bodies of the same 10-year-old girl, except one of them is decomposed by about three months, and one of them is decomposed by about one month, and... Any medical examination confirms they are the exact same child, and following this one through leads you to uh, this woman who lost her daughter or accidentally killed her. She's got, I think it's Munchausen's by proxy, and she has a magic spell that can... She's essentially kidnapping other children in the area and using a magic spell to turn those children into her dead daughter. It's just a really creepy, like, disturbing kind of plot. I think this one is on all three of our uh, of our. This one was my fifth. Yeah, this one was my third. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that this is a good scenario. I think the one thing that I would add to it is I would add um because because it it has this whole dissertation about how difficult it is to get the woman prosecuted for the crime, and I'm thinking with that like 
prosecution is not a word that Delta Green agents understand. Not really, no. They understand gun and 9mm retirement and stuff like that. And this is a woman who lets... This is some, This is an ugly thing to say, but this is a woman who lives in a place where murders are not investigated that closely because she lives in a, in a, a housing project where the crime rate is already quite high. But I was thinking, what's the one way to make not killing her valuable? And it's make her teach you the spell so you can get you can unfuck the kid. You can get the kid back into his old body instead of forcing him to be a duplicate of this woman's dead child. But Melon, that would require letting the wizard speak. Well, here's the thing. The wizard can sort of... The, the, the other problem with that is that body warping of Golgoroth is the spell that's used, and that's an old Kalakuu spell. So I would have liked to see a brief dissertation on how it functions in the new version. And it wouldn't have taken up word count. But, I mean, it's it's something that's... It's kind of obvious how it works from the scenario text. I just would have liked something more in there. Because I'm thinking, what if I'm a pl- what if the player character says, teach me the spell and I'll let you live? And the player character might be getting it so that he can fix the kid. Or he might be getting it because he wants to use it on himself. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be hard to stat up the spell just based on the description scenario. But, yeah, that would be nice to just have there just ready to go. Uh... I really like this this uh, scenario. Uh, the hook really really grabbed me. That was good. It's a it's a really good example of of one of um the type of scenario where it's not sub it's not like a a monster or a fucking alien and that's the, the the cause of everything. It's it's a person who's got a hold of something that, that she shouldn't and who's using it for her own personal ends and it's fucking up. And those those are those are good good scenarios. Very tightly designed. Uh, creepy, fun. Just missing. Uh, miss it. You know. You know how I'm always on the gameplay side, and so uh, that's that's the one thing I would add is the the interaction where the woman can be convinced to teach the spell and and things. But the problem is that obviously, if you let her go, she's just gonna fucking keep doing it because it's an addiction at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, Melon. Though that any any Delta Green agents who investigate this woman and find out what's going on probably aren't gonna be letting her go. <laughs> yeah, they're not gonna be looking at it because because imagine imagine that um imagine all right, she's uh you know convicted and incarcerated well guess what you don't you know the fighter gets his sword taken away the um you know the the wizard you just keep casting when in jail i mean maybe lose the material components but i go down that road anyway yeah this was all this is the one that i did not write that i voted for so my next the next one in my stack that i did was uh the pink men made him do it title is inspired by a line from i don't know Sub mountain and the the plot is inspired by a thing that I observed at Our Night at the Opera, which is our open table community that we run. One of the things that happens at an open table is that agents will often, I use the phrase, spring up out of the ether to participate in one of your adventures, because they'll people will either cre- will create a character for an adventure. And in fairness, oftentimes this is because they're new to the game and they've never played before. But sometimes it's just a bunch of people made a character. And so I, 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 had, a, I had a minor bit of frustration where... I didn't know what characters were going to be at my table until the very last second because we get a lot of last second signups. And so I thought, why not make that work for me? And so I made a scenario, and it's a scenario about a faith healer and about the magical item he found, or tech, or super science he found, whatever. And the trick in this scenario is that at the start, you tell the players, this is going to be bloody. If you want to not... If you want to spare your normal character and bring someone that you've made just for this opera, go right ahead. The trick is that the guy that they bring, all those all those characters that were made specifically for this operation and have no backstory outside that except for what the player made up, those people aren't real. Those people are simulacra. The simulacra and the regular agents alike, which you don't tell them that their agent is a, is a, is a fake, show up to this investigation where a man has vomited a sweaty pinkish ooze at a Montana DMV MVD, Motor Vehicle Department, and fallen over, dying of chronic leukemia. You find that his leukemia had previously gone into remission after he visited a special faith healer, but that special faith healer had then tried to start extorting him and his wife. And so, uh, as they say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And so, you pretty easily are able to track down this guy at his compound, uh, 
things might get violent pretty quickly depending on how you uh, approach it. But either way, he's got a machine in his basement that's controlling this big-ass vat of protomatter that he's using to provide healing to terminally ill patients. The catch is that once you're protomattered, he can then control you. Either he can control you, or if you misbehave, he can just take it away. And so there's there's a there's all kinds of stuff like there's a puzzle where if you figure out that the radio signal that the place is sending is actually full of garbage, you can jam it, and then when you attack the compound, most of the people there don't want to fight you, and it's just a handful of diehards that shoot back. And then the other puzzle is for the protomatter people to learn that they are actually not real, and if the machine in the basement is destroyed, they will die. Uh, so I like I like the gimmick of this one a lot better than the actual investigation, the the protomatter fake people thing. Uh, reminded me a lot of the uh, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode Whispers, the one where um, O'Brien is replaced by a replicant, but he like as the episode is told from the perspective of replicant from whom everybody else is acting weird because they know he's fake O'Brien. Yeah, I, I like that, and I'm um, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna steal that. Uh, and and use that to write a scenario later. The thing, so this scenario ended with the deaths of all the protomatter agents, which I think I I think I gave um I gave it made it too easy to kill them, where the guy could just send a command over the radio. I think it should have. I think so. When I re- when I rewrote it after the scenario, um, it was a, it was a player that did it. And I rewrote it after the scenario to say that you know you have to actually go and manually destroy the machine in the basement because. I don't think it should be that easy to instantly kill another player. I know your Unatco kill phrase, Laputin machine. I am not a... Me- and then he explodes. Sticks and stones. Uh, so, the the one problem I ran into is that it's supposed to be a choice whether the players make characters play this operation, but in the community that we play, most of the time when you run a game, you're going to get someone who's never played the game before. So they, they're they making a character specifically for that operation because they had no other characters. So that I ran, that's, that's what I ran into when I when I ran this for the first time. That's probably a problem unique to our format, though. Yeah. If you're if you're running this for your table... It's not going to be a problem there. It's not going to be an issue. And the, the other thing that I... That I I think is that if the players made a character that they liked for this operation, like they liked the pre the, the one that they just made up, I keep wanting to say pre-gen, but it's not pre-gens. Um, if they like the character they made, they can just play them and they died. They can just play it afterwards because they can just say it was a duplicate of a real agent because that's that's the the best duplicate is because like like you said earlier with the uh, with fake O'Brien, it's a duplicate of a real guy. Poor fake O'Brien. Yeah, because fake O'Brien had. Fake O'Brien was a conscious being. Fake O'Brien did nothing wrong. No, literally, he did nothing wrong. He, the only things that he did wrong were the things regular O'Brien also does wrong. Because he was a perfect duplicate. He was a perfect duplicate. Yeah, um, I think that that's a, that's a good thing to do with this because it's a that's that's an element where it almost just works as a set piece rather than as a um, a full size scenario, and that that alone is probably more portable than the whole scenario itself. Tom, any thoughts? Uh, nothing in particular. Okay. I guess we'll go on one of mine. Next one on my list was Merzy Dotes. It's the one with the mythos sheep that radicalize you into either hating them or loving them. Uh, I really like this one. Um, I just I like it just because of the weirdness of just the sheep, and they're they're a little bit biologically weird. Like they don't they don't poop for one. There was something else about their weird biology, but you find that out and you lose sanity, and then as you spend more time with the sheep, you either you either come to want to protect them and shield them from all harm, or want to destroy them as the affronts to nature that they are. And there's just there's no in between. It feels like an SCP object. Like it does. You're just it? compelled it really does. to to either love them or want them destroyed. I like that, and I like it more because it's not even something weird or un- it's just it's sheep. That's just so 
so benign. I was talking earlier about scenarios that are designed to encourage PvP and how they have the elaborate justifications. This one is straight... This is one of them, yeah. No, this one is not elaborate justification. All this is straight up scub versus anti-scub. It is, yeah. It even breaks down the NPCs as pro-sheep and anti-sheep. Yeah, this must be really fun to run. I'm a little... I don't know how well the mechanic for radicalizing player agents would work in play, because it relies on uh, lots of sandy checks. So I could see I could see uh, a scenario happening where like a lot, most or all of the agents just don't care and it's just the npcs who have these fanatical uh beliefs about the sheep that's great though because we've mentioned before that means your team all the players end up on team anti-sheep and anti everyone who loves the sheep they're gonna try and kill everything with fire yeah i guess yeah you might actually unite the warring factions because they realize these people are gonna kill all of us in addition to the sheep it's, it's a good scenario it's uh I, I do think you know subject to the problems earlier of you know if it's if it's if it's just about killing each other then it all just comes down to you know firearms and decks but it's not just about that it has other um elements to make the back and forth more interesting i wish i had more to say about this other than i like the idea of sheep that radicalize you there's probably some just the premise of it there's probably a lot of room to make science characters more useful too whether it's just you're gonna try and discreetly poisoning the sheep with like fake medicine or something in their food supply some a thing like that or you can get perhaps certain forms of magic or learn certain things by just saving the sheep and then putting them in a program lab and studying them. I like that the sheep just like grow larger the more they eat. (laughs) Just eventually just get like the biggest sheep. An absolute unit. Absolute unit, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the square cube ratio on this boy. Absolute unit. (laughs) (laughs) Be like that giant cow except it's a sheep. Yes. All right, uh, Tom. My third one is dreams in the fish house. Oh, this was on my list too, yeah. Yeah, so the premise is that you have three people who are Cthulhu cultists, and they snuck into an aquarium and gave the belugas in one of the tanks LSD, and so they've become almost like antennas for the dream call of Cthulhu, and it's starting to really mess up all the other life in the aquarium. And they've also, three previous Delta Green agents realized what was up, and tried to kill the Belugas, and now they've been stranded on a desert island somewhere. And that's where the players come in, is they're trying to figure out what happened to the previous Delta Green team. And so it presents kind of an interesting course of action where you can try to you can try to just kill the Belugas yourselves, and you will end up uh, with the same fate. You will find them still chilling on a desert island somewhere. I think actually two of only two of them because the third one died under some grisly circumstances. Was eaten by a Leoplerodon. There you go. Very grisly. What I like about this um, is that it's a way of tapping into the classic uh, big guy, big C, Cthulhu, uh, in a way that doesn't involve either Deep Ones or the, uh, the, the, the original cult of Cthulhu. Like, Cthulhu is a classic element in the mythos, but he's so rarely used just because he's so recognizable. This uh, is, is a, a fresh new take on that. Yeah, uh, I think considering the word count, he's done included a lot of cool angles, a lot of cool details. Yeah. I like he has... A section on the exhibit and all the different behaviors that uh, the dream call is. Well, it's got a lot of details on the different behaviors of the other animals in the aquarium as the dream call sort of permeates them and messes them up. I like the uh, the setup of the atmosphere of the fish house, the, the ceiling, you can see water and like their ears pop as they go in. That was good. 
Yeah. Also the weird microbial mat. That, that's a cool, that's a cool thing. Oh man, I really like that. Yeah. And I also like what you mentioned about the house, especially where if, I think if you start tearing through the walls, they start collapsing and all the seawater starts rushing out. All right, Melon, do one yours. All right. So the last, um, the last one of mine is called My Big Fat Deep One Wedding. Great title. And this one is got the best reception out of any of the ones that I ran. Because the concept is just so over the top and hilarious. So the simple is very simple. Um, Delta Green operation. Uh, there's a case officer who went um, a little off the deep end, and <laughs> so to speak, he but I'm t- decided that the deep ones are really good. They're very powerful. They control seventy percent of the world, the world's surface or undersurface, as it might be, maybe. And why are we not enlisting them in our fight against the mythos? And so he's spent. A long time and a lot of effort creating a deal with one of the Deep One clans. And in order to seal the deal, they're going to have to have an arranged marriage. And guess who gets to be the betrothed agent? Someone who didn't volunteer? Mm -hmm. So it starts as him telling them that there's a fake undercover operation. They have to go to this island and be initiated into the Brotherhood of the Ocean. And they go to the island and then it's very quickly apparent that this is not like a cult initiation ritual. This is a wedding. And then they have um, a variety of adventures on the island. They get to see the wedding gifts. They get to meet the parents. They get to meet all the different Deep One clans. And then, you know, the wedding ceremony. And then after the wedding ceremony... Um, the newlyweds go to the honeymoon suite, and then the island gets attacked by Delta Green. Because the case officer who set this whole thing up didn't, like, go to the director and ask nicely if he could do this. He just kind of did it. And it turns out that Delta Green really fucking hates Deep Ones, which he didn't know, because... <laughs> he, who would have guessed? Yeah, he had... Who would have He guessed? had absolutely no way of knowing. And so I tried to make all of the characters um, in this one fun, and I think I sort of succeeded. So uh, you have the... the um, the parents of the Deep One clan are two giant Deep Ones that are too big to leave the water. And so they want to meet their new son or daughter-in-law, but they can't see very well, so they have to pick you up and look super close. And then um, you have the four Deep One clans that are here. So there's the Deep the deep Sea Deep Ones, uh, the Shark Deep Ones, the Crab Deep Ones. And then I had an idea that um, in the Delta Green books, it mentions that the Karatekia would sometimes offer sacrifices from the concentration camps to Deep Ones. But... Deep Ones are not interested in blood sacrifices. They're interested in fucking as hard as they possibly can. So the result of this is that there is a clan of Yiddish-speaking Deep Ones that wears the little uh, the little kippas, the little uh, tichels, and uh, you know ties the tiffle into the forehead every day, prays to uh, to to Yahweh for understanding, and uh, that's Clan Farblanget, which is sort of a, a pun in Yiddish because it literally, I think, translates to like clueless, but is idiomatically understood to mean in deep or in too deep. <laughs> anyway, we can cut we can cut that part of the audio if, if that bit doesn't doesn't land home. But those are those are your four deep one schools and they all go around doing weird stuff. And then um, you can meet the case officer that Shanghai you into this situation in the first place at the um, at the wedding. And he is very obviously trying to drink a whole lot and maybe fuck a fish person. He's not exactly inspiring a lot of confidence in himself, but will explain his master plan. So my favorite part of the scenario is the fact that the third act twist is the program arrives and is about to shoot everybody and they're convinced you're traitors. Like, I just like the timing of that where everybody feels like they've made it through the worst part and they might start to relax because things can only get up from here. And then <laughs> missile fire starts raining down on the beach. 
Because the one thing about the scenario is tonally you could play it like two different ways. You could play it as really silly and kind of a break from the norm, or you could play up the horrific and disgusting and just how inhuman the deep ones are. And I like that with kind of the, the final choice that has to be made by the prospective spouse. Well, they're not the prospective spouse at that point. They are the spouse. True, they are they are the spouse at that point, but it's whether or not you want to uh, whether you not you want to go for the divorce really quickly, or if you want to stick with it for your own safety. The one flaw with this is that depending on how the players handle it, um, if if the if the uh, the prospective spouse is like, I'm just going to go through with this, I'm going to grin and bear it, and then we can just leave at the end, lie back, think of England, uh, then there's basically not a lot of conflict until the very end when Delta Green shows up. But I was lucky when we ran the playtest because the guy who was... Um, the guy who was picked as the arranged marriage was really pissed about it, but all the other agents were like, "No, you got to go through with this." They took the case officer's side, even when it was obvious that he was a drunken stupid. <laughs> even when it was obvious that he was a drunken stupid asshole who just wanted to fuck fish people, they took his side, and so the uh, the groom got so pissed off at them that for his wedding present, he asked his new Deep One wife to tell her family to kill the other agents. Wow. And and she was like, yeah, fucking no problem. They, you know, they're, they're uh, causing my husband distress. And, you know, this is a this is part of the relationship. And so they had to get off the island very, very quickly. Yeah. And so they all panicked and scattered to the winds. And so some of them were lucky enough to already be off the island by the time helicopters started flying over. I didn't include the mechanic in here for convincing delta green but the way i handle it is basically you get a um you get a persuade and if you fail the persuade then they beat the truth out of you and so it's the same except that you lose the d it's either d6 or d8 for being tortured anyway that's that's my big fat deep one wedding this is if so um people were saying that there was too many submissions this time and um there might be a desire to restrict the number that you can send in in the future which if so this is the one i would have sent because i think this one was more positively received than the other ones and it also stands out more deserves a place Right next to, because the beauty of the white ape woman must not perish from the earth. Yeah, I think a lot of my scenarios have been, like, the the good ones are... With funny titles? Funny titles and um, wacky premises, rather than uh, more serious ones. Well, that's kind of your that's kind of your style, isn't it? Well, um, I found that last year, if you'll recall, I ran two scenarios. I ran Baby on Board, and I ran uh, Beauty of the White Ape Woman Must Not Perish from the... And the silly joke scenario ended up being much more fun than the serious investigative scenario. I didn't, that wasn't a criticism. No, but that's 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 why I do this, is because there's a time and a place for like a very gritty, kind of serious investigation, but I think ultimately if people enjoy the other one more than that's... And, it, and it's... It's about the same to write either one, so give the people what they want. And I got to give credit to um, to I think it was uh, Top Hat who gave me the idea for this scenario. And so the whole the whole adventure came together over the course of about a couple of days of of um, on and off writing. It wasn't that it was pretty quick to, quick to put together? Once I basically that there was an expanded version that had a super elaborate justification for why everything was the way it was. Like at the beginning, it was like, oh, he went and talked to the to the crazy old man at the mental hospital who had been part of the in, the Innsmouth Raid. I was like, wait, who fucking cares? That's not the fun part. And I had like a big a big intro sequence where the agents had to basically go from green box to green box trying to find the perfect wedding gift, and they had some other bullshit excuse for why they were doing it. I was like, wait, this also isn't fun. And this also this just gives them an opportunity to figure out what's going on and refuse to go on the most interesting part of the adventure. So just start with the fun part. So yeah, that's the uh, that's the deep lore of. 
my big fat deep on wedding. The last one that I had uh, is In the Wake of the Gods, which is, and this is what I like about it, it's a modular scenario that you can sort of tack on to their operation after your agents have become exposed to something big and sanity shattering. Because uh, it's it's really more of a set piece than a scenario, because um, it's kind of it's kind of a framework by which. Uh, contact with the unnatural sort of starts to erode. Uh, I guess what it's about is it's about it's it's a framework for showing for for dealing with and 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 showing you know on screen so to speak the the corrosive nature of the ethos because it doesn't necessarily have to the agents it could one of their bonds it could friendly uh, could hit an NPC that was just sort of around and then there's there's a whole bunch of stuff about I really like the examples that he gives about um, signs that you could see in other people that would suggest that they're be- that they're sort of being uh, corrupted by by the mythos uh, a texan man mangled prized thoroughbred by spiking high performance racing wheels into its haunches and a steering wheel into its mane like what the fuck it's a good one so i really like the examples given here i think they're for the most part really good i guess my main thing with them is that i would want i would want an, a, a, these examples to lead to something and my concern here is that they lead to nothing they lead to something that that can't be investigated and goes away on its own. That's the only thing, yeah. It's just as uh, as outlined in the scenario, it just it just stops. I think that this should not be the aftermath of a god encounter. I think this should be the prelude to it. Oh, maybe. I think yeah. these things should be clues that lead into something bigger and not random things that can't really be interacted with that happen afterwards. Yeah, place this before uh, an encounter with something big and un- and sandy shattering rather than after. I like. Yeah, that. so I think it's good. I just think that I would. It's assembled. You just in think a- it's in the wrong order. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good point. It strikes me as it's a lot like the early parts of Call of Cthulhu, where people around the world are just acting really weirdly and behaving, lashing out really violently, except you don't get a chance to realize, oh, it's actually Cthulhu waking up that does all this. So yeah, good good, uh, good set piece, good thing to drop into an investigation. I would just use it differently than the author intended. What was the... Didn't Dennis put something on his Patreon? It was like a little short uh, mini set piece thing for having like uh, a friendly who calls for help and he arrived just in, find, in time to find him dead with like a cryptic message screwed on his wall. What was that called? I know it's when you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. Because what I was going to say is that this... Uh, could could synergize really well with that you know one could sort of lead into the other parting words there it is i'll put a link in the description uh tom you got, you got anything left uh yeah i've got actually my next two haven't been discussed so far uh i really liked my big fat deep one wedding and that was probably tied for four at the moment uh the other one is bloodline miami also a great title that's not one that i read too closely but i also like the title yes I'm go back and open it up again and please tell me what it is so this one is about essentially a bunch of gangsters have smuggled a wendigo down to miami florida for some reason and it escapes and so suddenly you have a bunch of people who are dying around Miami who are frostbitten or have been murdered and then frozen solid even though it is boiling out and I just think that is on its face a really cool dichotomy something that will really capture the player's interest and as you investigate it you there's a little bit of a thing with uh somebody who was attacked but hasn't been killed and there's a police friendly watching over them in the hospital so if you need to speed things up that person might suddenly transform into a Wendigo and attack the friendly, and then the friendly will turn into a Wendigo. But really, the climax of it is that you track down the gang to a gator farm in the Everglades, and you find that they the whole reason they shipped this thing down here was that they could essentially trap it and make it 
pit fight a bunch of different gators <laughs> and they would just people would pay money to see that and so the players are supposed to crash in one of these fights and shoot everybody and then at the end one of the gators suddenly becomes wendigo fied so it has the freezing touch and all this damage resistance i just opened the, the document and what is it that this creature is referred to as in this document the wendigator and so i just really like how over the top and absurd that climactic scene is and i think that really made me laugh and i enjoy it but yeah so it's a combination of different elements it is a little bit of an investigation it's the kind of the very obvious clear hook of people uh getting fro- dying of frostbite or exposure in florida and then just that over-the-top ending to everything. There was one more... Yeah, there's one more I can talk about, and this one is... It's a cool idea, but it's in kind of the bottom of my list for a reason. It is The Cage. I think I'm I'm probably going to feel the same way about, that, about this one that you do. Yeah, because I feel like this is one where I, just the reasons why I don't like it probably align with your thoughts. Like some of the things you don't like in different scenarios. Um, It's not that I don't like it, it's that I don't know how the hell I would get the players through it without them realizing that something was up and torpedoing most of the coolest parts. Yeah, so the premise of it is that you are contacted by phone by a case officer and told to rob a certain bank uh, and confiscate the contents of a certain safety deposit box, except your case officer is actually some kind of monster that communicates via electromagnetic frequencies and... It is trapped inside said security deposit box. The bank is actually run by Delta Green on the sly to keep it contained. And so a big part of the conflict is the players not only have the case officer in their ear, in their ear, instructing them as they go how to navigate all the bank's defenses, but is increasingly becoming violent as they go. And also Delta Green is going to escalate their response when they realize what is happening. And then by the time you get to the safety deposit box, uh, the monster is able to free itself and I think is able to infect the agents and take over their nervous systems uh, with a touch. So it's a lot like, it's a really cool premise, but it is, if you succeed, it is pretty much... I can't really see how it would last longer uh, as the thing just cuts through them. There's also a, a bit about how the creature is weak to artificial lights, uh, not sunlight. It's explicitly like any artificial li- lights inside the bank. Yeah, that was cool, but weird in a way that I guess I like. I think that this scenario, and yeah, I think we just mentioned it, that um, scenario is cool. I just want it to be slightly more robust because there's all these, in, there's there's so many indications that things are not going the way that they're supposed to go. Like through like like that the handler's not being on the level with you, and basically what happens if the players just say no? And I understand that, that Will, you, you keep saying it's the player's responsibility to make characters that will go on the adventure, but in this case, the adventure is figuring out that something's fucked up. I think that's a valid criticism, yeah. It's, yeah not, this... it's, not, it's not necessarily a criticism. I'm asking, what are some ways that we can take this and steer, make sure that players see the fun stuff? Because this, is, this has a similar problem as um, when I wrote Baby on Board, which is that the most interesting content is essentially a fail state that you have to essentially do everything quote unquote wrong in order to see the most interesting thing. Yeah. So how do we how do we how do we steer people towards the fun parts of this adventure given that most people I don't know if most people maybe maybe just the people we play with are going to see through the deception pretty quickly. 
Uh, well, you could do some kind of a double thing where the agency deception is part of the, the crystal entity's plan. So getting caught was part of its plan. Yeah, we're getting caught as part of its plan. Yeah, you could do something. Well, here's an idea. If it can, if it can contact the agents, maybe it can contact the... Uh, there's a Delta Green friendly on site running the bank. So maybe it can spoof a call from the friendly superiors as well, telling them, no, this is a penetration test. These guys are supposed to be here. Don't worry about it. And so security is surpri- is maybe surprisingly lax, or there's some... I haven't worked out yet the exact thoughts about it, but maybe if you come face-to-face with this manager, like you take him hostage to get the key, he's just like, all right, all right, I know what's going down. You don't have to be so aggressive about it. Like the manager expects you to be there, which the players have no idea they're expected to be there. Yeah. And so that's also a clue that something is not right here. I feel like that would tip the players off if the uh, the manager was mutually cooperative given the circumstances. So what if what if his instructions are to play along? Yeah. To pretend it's... What if... Oh, what if his instructions are the team that's doing the pen testing thinks it's an actual operation, they don't know that it's a test? What if, the, what if that's what he's told? Yeah, that's fair. Although that would probably tip off the PC, but it's easy to pretend that NPCs are dumb. True. Well, you could always just say, like, it tells the, the NPC that they know exactly what's in the box. They're not going to do anything stupid with it. And so certain assurances are given to get the NPC's cooperation. And then when the box is removed, the NPC is the one opens it or does something to it that lets the monster out. And so before it can attack you, you see what it's doing to the NPC and you have to keep away. Yeah, the only thing with that, though, is that takes interactivity agents, maybe? If, like, I, I kind of like it where it's it's... So this is this is the the balancing act, right? On the one hand, I I like the I like the the, the fail state where it's the agent's own actions that result in disaster. Yeah, that's true. But on the other hand, that relies on the agents failing, and on said you only get to see the cool stuff if you fuck up. Uh, thus, the disaster happening being in the hands of the NPCs is a surefire way to make it happen, but it sort of takes away some of it so you no longer influence the outcome. So I guess I guess yeah, I guess that's the, the balancing act when you're writing a scenario like this. Yeah. Or it's a good scenario. It's Yeah, it's it's a, f- a fun set of elements. Like the 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 wacky creature can um, be transplanted elsewhere. Like it could also be that um, and maybe you guys just suggested this, uh, but the bank robbery is orchestrated by someone else by the vo- by the voice. And you have to interrupt it because you know that this is a green box. That's cool. So um, take away the element of deception, which kind of, you know, that that does spoil a certain part of it. Like, because you're never going to actually get to directly. Oh, 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 no, you, I got it. You you get the intercepted phone call of the crystal creature calling the bank robbers and arranging the, the, the hit. So you get to, you get, you get a, like an insight into like the, you know, strange resonant voice that is setting up all this stuff you get to observe the machinations but that's the twist is still maintained that it's actually the thing in the box doing this well here's an idea actually building off that what if it's a double fake out so the thing in the box calls the bank robbers to rob the bank and then it calls you as the case officer saying we need you to stop the robbery and then we need you to move what's in the box somewhere else because the bank obviously isn't secure anymore that's good. Yeah, but they tell you that maybe they tell you that after you stop the run. But yeah, yeah, that's a good setup. Yeah, I I really like this scenario in concept. I wish I think I would like it more if it had like if it didn't have the 1500 word limit. Like I think if it had a little more time to breathe and add detail onto some of the ideas, it would be pretty solid. I don't want to say like it's not solid now, but I just have some questions about it as written. No, I I feel the same way about it that I feel about all scenarios. Uh pieces assembled in the wrong order just uh, move a couple of things around and you got yourself a uh, top tier uh, shotgun scenario
that's all we have for you tonight. In the description of this episode, you'll find our usual self-promotion links, as well as the Night at the Opera subreddit and Discord server, and to the full list of shotgun scenarios. Our congratulations to everyone who submitted this year, there were a lot of great entries. Look for a follow-up bonus segment with Kevin, Jake, and Dole on our SoundCloud page in the coming days. Until then, thanks for listening to episode 12 of The Green Box. We'll be in touch. Thank you.